Hey, everybody. I'm Amy Scott, host of How We Survive, and this is the final installment of Burning Questions for now. It's been so fun making this series, and we really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have a burning question about the climate crisis you'd like us to answer, you can send us a note at survive at marketplace.org. We'll be back in just a few short weeks with a brand new season of How We Survive. It's all about the water crisis in the West and the ripple effects it'll have across the country. So stay tuned for that. For now, I'm very excited for this burning question because it's about AI, that is artificial intelligence, and how it can help and also maybe exacerbate the climate crisis. Marketplace's resident AI reporter Matt Levin sits down with expert Priya Dunti for this fascinating conversation about a very powerful technology. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm Matt Levin. I'm a senior reporter with Marketplace. I've been covering AI for Marketplace since November of last year when ChatGPT came out. And I am increasingly convinced that this technology really is going to change just about every facet of our day-to-day lives. And that includes the climate. There are scientists who believe AI will be a huge weapon in the fight against climate change. And there are scientists who believe AI will be a huge hindrance in the fight against climate change. Uh, For this installment of Burning Questions, I'm joined by Priya Donti. She's an assistant professor at MIT and the co-founder of Climate Change AI. Welcome to the show, Priya. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Uh, Very excited to have you here. Um, Okay, let's get right to it. We're going to start off with the burning question. It's a very simple one. Can AI save the planet, Priya? (laughs) So AI, I think, can be a huge tool in our broader toolkit to address climate change. Um, In general, right, addressing climate change is going to require action from across many, many stakeholders in society using all of the tools and approaches we have. And AI is going to be one of those which can be helpful in various circumstances for accelerating or supporting climate solutions. At the same time, AI itself in both its own kind of footprint and in the ways it's used can also be unfortunately a contributor to making climate change worse. It can, um, you know, it has its own uh, footprint through its greenhouse gas emissions that come from its computations, as well as the hardware that it runs on. Potentially, even more importantly, it's also used in various ways across society that make climate change worse from accelerating things that we kind of associate as being bad for climate change, like accelerating oil and gas exploration and extraction, but also in doing things like fostering increased consumption across society or potentially entrenching the role of private vehicles and transportation through the development of autonomous vehicles, things that we don't necessarily always pin as being climate change relevant, but indeed very much are. And so I think our task as a society is going to be to really align how we use AI with our climate change goals, both the good and mitigating the effects of the bad. So before we get to those kind of specific ways we can harness AI for good, could you define artificial intelligence for me? Uh, Because it seems like nowadays, just based off the number of press releases I get, everything is AI. So AI refers to any computational algorithm that performs some kind of complex task. So this can be speech, reasoning, prediction of various sorts. And there are two big classes of AI. 
One of them is AI that is based on symbolic techniques. So you write down a set of known rules and get an algorithm to reason over what to do in the face of those rules. So, you know, back when kind of, you know, the algorithm Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov in chess, you can enumerate the rules of chess and then get an algorithm to reason over what to do in the face of those rules. More recently, though, um, kind of the kind of predominant paradigm of, of um, that has risen is machine learning. And so this is basically a type of AI where the idea is that you don't write down rules. You sort of give an algorithm a bunch of examples, usually in the form of large amounts of data, and you ask it to find patterns in that data in order to then implicitly understand what the rules are. So if I gave you a bunch of images, Matt, and asked, are these images of cats or dogs? You would be able to tell me the answer to that pretty intuitively. Um, and the, the um, machine learning algorithm can basically look at that data and just sort of understand what patterns kind of emerge in, in some way. Gotcha. And just very quickly, tell me how things like ChatGPT fit into that model that you just laid out. So ChatGPT, um, or the, the underlying model, GPT, is um, a type of machine learning. So basically is learning from large amounts of data to basically replicate patterns in that data. In particular, what it does is it says, on the internet, it's trying to figure out, when I see a set of words, what words follow that set of words most commonly? And that's what it's trying to learn the pattern of. And so when you ask it a question, it's really just trying to figure out what set of words is most likely to come next. So it's not about kind of, you know, spitting out truth or anything like that. It's about replicating patterns. And we see the ways in which that sometimes works and which it doesn't. And GPT is just one type of machine learning. There are kind of many other models that are used on many different kinds of, of data. So not just, you know, text or images, but also, you know, physics data, like data on your power grid. So when you think of AI and machine learning, you shouldn't just think GPT. GPT is an example of, of the sort of broader set of models that exist in the world for AI and machine learning. Okay, let's talk about uh, the way AI can be harnessed for good in the fight against climate change. Can you give us some big picture ways that AI is currently being used for that purpose? I like to think about the ways that AI and machine learning can address climate change around four main themes. So the first is that AI can improve predictions by analyzing past data in order to provide some kind of foresight. So an example of that is the, the nonprofit Open Climate Fix, uh, based in the UK, is working with the UK power system operator to use machine learning to improve their electricity demand forecasts. And these are essential for basically better balancing a power grid in the face of introduction of renewables. Gotcha. Um, okay, so outside of kind of optimizing the grid, what are some other uh, capabilities of AI that can be used in the fight against climate change? So another theme here, for example, is that AI can help to take large unstructured sources of data and turn them into actionable information. The MAP project, which is a pro project kind of in the Amazon, they're using satellite imagery to provide a real-time picture of where deforestation is happening in the Amazon in order to then enable interventions to stop that. And they do that by analyzing satellite imagery at large scale in order to then pinpoint, you know, where is their deforestation actually occurring. So the algorithm is basically allowing you to look at a larger set of images 
maybe with a slightly worse accuracy than a human would, but a, but at a larger scale. Gotcha. Okay, so maybe kind of almost tracking deforestation in real time is that kind of the the end goal? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about deforestation tracking. We've talked about grid optimization. I believe you mentioned there were a couple other broad themes in how AI can tackle climate change. What are those? Uh, another theme is that AI can help optimize, you know, complex real world systems in order to improve their efficiency. So the example I gave for the power grid it was actually the kind of prediction side of things of so forecasting electricity demand in a way that helps with optimization. And there also are, you know, examples of AI being used for grid optimization. But for this optimization theme, let me give a different example, which is actually um, reducing the energy use of buildings. For example, you know, Arab Hong Kong, they are kind of using AI to reduce the energy use of buildings by something like 10 to 30 percent, at least in the buildings they've initially tested this on. And what they're doing is they're analyzing real time data about buildings in order to figure out what the most effective way is to actually control the heating and cooling systems. So based on the characteristics of the building, data you get from sensors about what the weather looks like, what the current temperature is, how occupied the building is, you can figure out ways to actually control the heating and cooling system in order to reduce the overall energy usage while still, you know, maintaining, for example, the comfort of the building in a way that you'd like. Um, One thing that I've uh, at least seen a good amount of hype about is the use of AI in developing battery systems. Could you talk about that a bit? So that's actually the the fourth theme I wanted to cover, which is AI to accelerate the process of scientific discovery. There's a startup, for example, based in the U.S. called AIonics, and what they do is that they help um, battery manufacturers cut down design times for batteries by basically saying, can I analyze the outcomes of past experiments in order to suggest what experiments should be tried next? Gotcha. It's like it's a super scientific helper, essentially. Exactly. It's basically like having a, a little little buddy telling the scientist, hey, like, try this out, try that out. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Okay, I want to switch gears a bit and talk about uh, the downside of AI. But before we actually get to climate change, it's been interesting, like, as I've reported on AI 
AI has been compared to climate change as an existential threat in and of itself, right? So people are talking about AI as, you know, its capability for bad actors to use it to produce biological weapons or to, you know, uh, somehow become misaligned with human intention and somehow wipe us all out. I'm, I'm curious where you think AI is as an existential threat in and of itself. I'd say that, yeah, in the community, there's definitely kind of a wide set of opinions on both the extent to which AI could be an existential risk and also the probability of such an outcome. I guess what I would yeah. say is that, you know, it is not a zero probability event that AI kind of poses an existential threat. Um, at the same time, there are many, many ways in which AI's use in, in, in more mundane ways today, I think, poses some very clear and present harms. So, for example, AI being used in finance and banking to target or approve, you know, loans um, in ways that really encode historical inequities and biases in terms of who historically got loans or who has access to generational wealth that makes them, you know, actually eligible for, for loans. Or AI is used for predictive policing in ways that disproportionately then end up, you know, being punitive for, for marginalized communities because you feed in information about past arrests with policing resources in the past disproportionately having been, you know, targeted in disadvantaged communities, you're going to just see more arrest data in certain communities, regardless of what the distribution of crime is. Mm -hmm. And if you sort of target more policing resources there, AI is not as often used to, for example, detect white collar crime or financial crime um, or, or, or things that, you know, we have decided that, that we are not implementing AI algorithms for in the same measure. So I guess what I'd say is that when, when thinking about AI risks, it's important to take a pretty broad perspective on what risks are, are important to, to, to look at and, and, and sort of we need to make sure that we're not kind of over-focusing as a society on a narrow set of risks because of what happens to be in the news and instead be really pragmatic about, about how we are actually thinking about AI risk. Okay. Well, speaking of being pragmatic about AI risk, I want to talk about the emissions that come with the use of AI, and particularly uh, products like ChatGPT, do we know how much energy these large language models actually consume? And is that an issue? The kind of numbers on this have been shifting quite a lot recently. So in 2019 or so, the overall information and communication technology sector, so that's not just AI, but data centers in general, kind of other digital technologies, those are contributing, say, less than 2% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and this was kind of kept constant for a long time because even though we were demanding more computational cycles as a society, hardware was getting efficient at a, at a relatively similar rate. A couple of things are changing here. First of all, we can't necessarily take the exponential improvement in hardware efficiency for granted. Um, mm. And in addition, the number of computational cycles that we're demanding are continuing to increase by quite a lot, not just because we're using more computation, but because of some of the, the details of how these models work. So for example, GPT, it's actually 
it's not running once per response you get. So when you use ChatGPT and you kind of put in a question, you get one response. It's actually running kind of basically once per word in the output. Mm -hmm. It's not just once. And there's some algorithms that would sort of work differently. And so there are some technical details here that are also causing, you know, the, the computational cycles to potentially be increasing by quite a lot. And a challenge in pinning down numbers more recently is transparency. So a lot of the, the entities that are creating and, and using uh, or putting these models into the world, they're not sharing numbers on what their energy consumption looks like, what the sources of energy are, how often something is being used in this kind of usage phase where I'm actually kind of taking a model that has already learned and using it to make a query versus actually mm -hmm. training that model using examples which have different emissions impacts. So how often are each of these things done? And I think that kind of getting that transparency on not just on both the kind of macro level numbers, but also the dynamics that lead to those numbers are going to be absolutely critical to figuring out how to deal with this uh, emissions issue. I feel like at this point in the development of products like ChatGPT, a lot of the use is still in the novelty or kind of frivolous, like I'm going to play around and experiment with it. Is it environmentally responsible for me to do that considering the amount of energy that the queries take, let alone the training that was involved um, for the model to exist in the first place? Like if I wanted to write a poem about Hot Pockets and have ChatGPT do it, is that not worth it for the earth? That's a great question. And and yeah, and, it, and it's a tricky one because it's not just energy <laughs> use, but also like water use, right? Each query takes up, I, and I, I should know the number, but I don't happen to, but it's like, you know, I think a quarter of a liter, a liter, something like that of, of water, um, you know, per, per query. Yet this is a question that we as a society don't generally ask, I would say, right? I think that, you know, yeah. when we use resources, I think this question of, are the resources worth it on the other side is something we should continuously be asking and, and we and we don't. And so I would say, yes, I think that is really important to be thinking about this question of, you know, is my use worth it? I personally am not the arbiter of how any individual personally experiences joy versus that that particular resource use, but I would mm -hmm. just say it's not a question we ask enough around society. And this applies to how we think about kind of AI and other technologies in the context of climate as a whole, right? Is the resource use worth the benefit? For some applications, it will be. And for some applications, it really won't be. And that's not necessarily aligned with where we spend our dollars today. There has been a lot written about the potential of AI to spread misinformation um, and propaganda. Obviously, we're still at a point where not everyone is on the same page when it comes to the reasons behind climate change or whether climate change is actually happening. Do you fear that AI is going to sow more division around the issue as opposed to uniting people to fight it? Absolutely. I think that, unfortunately, AI is um, being used in various ways that do exactly so misinformation, that's so dissent, um, that shape what information we're seeing when we search, when we interact on social media. But again, I think the question of, you know, is it going to do this more than sort of uniting us and such? I think it's important to think about both what happens if we just let AI be used within the existing systems and structures we have set up. And in that case, I think, yes. But 
also we have the ability to, to shape this and change this, right? We do have as a society agency to say, look, we don't want social media companies to be using AI to be optimizing for certain types of engagement, which fundamentally is what leads sort of flashy things, misinformation things to spread. Mm. And we can choose to use it differently. <laughs> so it's not that this is sort of some algorithm that is right. Like I think when we often say, will AI do blank, we're almost like diffusing responsibility from the users and designers of AI. We're like, will the algorithms do this? And it's that's not how it looks, right? It's we are people and organizations who are choosing how to use these technologies and we can just make better choices. Um, if you are just an individual who's concerned about climate change, which a lot of us are, what can you do at an individual level to ensure that AI is helping the fight against climate change? I think that educating oneself about AI in a really, again, pragmatic manner, not necessarily being driven by the hype online, but really understanding what does it mean, what are its risks, um, what are its what are its promises, and you know, being vocal that basically we need pragmatic legislation, pragmatic policies that enable the use of AI in ways that are climate aligned and that aren't, let's say, distractions from some of the real problems we need to be solving that, you know, making one's voice heard on the, the local and, and, and broader policy levels is definitely one something one can do. That makes total sense. Uh, this was great. Thank you so much, Priya, for your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. I'm Amy Scott, host of How We Survive. This Burning Questions featured Matt Levin in conversation with Priya Donti. Our senior producer is Haley Hirschman. Caitlin Esch is our editor. Mallory Brangan is our video editor, which, by the way, Burning Questions is a video series. You can check that out on YouTube. Brian Allison is our sound engineer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director. And Neil Scarborough is vice president and general manager of Marketplace. Our theme music is by Wonderly. This project was funded with an APMG Kling Innovation Grant. Thanks so much for listening. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.